got a legend in the hot seat today, every sense of the definition of my fantasy. A celebrated master of his industry. Ladies and gentlemen, everyone, viewers tuning in, I'm Laura Desiree, thanks for joining us. And today we have the fabulous, the bald and the beautiful, the legend, Mr. Jim Norton. Hi. How are you? Oh, I'm doing as well as possible right now. What about yourself? I'm good. I mean, I'm used to this shit life and uh, I'm, I'm actually ad adjusting to it pretty well, uh, doing nothing. I don't even miss stand-up that much. Like I felt like I would miss stand-up, but now right. that nobody is doing it, knowing that everybody's suffering makes it easier for me to not feel so bad. What about all the online stand-up, like virtual shit people are doing on even their social media? Would you do that? You know, I'm not the stand-up. I, I like the interviews I'm happy to do. I love doing this stuff. But the stand-up is weird because with Zoom, with like the loud laughter, like it gets quiet and there's always delays. So I have not done stand-up yet. Um, I think I would do it outdoors. But I like, you know, like Burke Kreischer's doing a, uh, a drive-in theater tour, like that type of shit I would do. But I wouldn't do stand-up on Zoom. It just seems too uncomfortable. Or Instagram Live or whatever. I'm just yeah, no. a lot of it now. There's like a surge. People are getting on board to do it. Everyone's yeah. throwing content out there. But yeah. Jim, it's 2020, which, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, this marks 30 years in the business for you? 30 years, yeah. It was uh, April of 1990 was my first time on. And what are we in now? Oh, yeah, it's over 30 years, a little over 30. But the first year I was kind of worthless. Like I didn't get paid for a year. Yeah but I still did open mics once a month or once every three weeks in the first uh, year. But yeah, April of 1990, I was uh, 21. Fantastic. I was one that month. You were one? <laughs> I was one that month. Like your career has been as long as my life so far. Fascinating. Jim, uh, let's go back 30 years for a second. Did you have an idea of who and what kind of comic you wanted to be back then? No, it's funny. Like, you know, you never know. You're, you're young, you're 20 years old, you're 21. I found my, like my first piece of press, the first interview I ever did was with my friend's brother. He worked for like a local paper, the Home News in New Brunswick, New Jersey. <laughs> and I, I compared myself. I'm like, yeah, I like talking about game shows. And I, I like wanted to be like Robin Williams. Like you have no idea when you start what you're going to do or like, will I be honest? Will I just create things that are totally bullshit? You have no idea. So no, I had no idea where I was going to be or what I was going to talk. Could you have even imagined this being the outcome? You know, it's weird. Like, I, I always thought I would do okay and I would be successful. But, you know, no matter where you are, you always feel like you're failing. So, like, I always feel like I have to keep doing more. I always feel like, oh, dude, I'll know I'm famous. When I sign an autograph in New York and then I fly to Seattle and I sign an autograph, I'm famous. And yeah. I've done that. And I'm like, I'm not famous. Like, gives a fuck. Like, I signed two dumb autographs. There's two random people. No matter where you are, it doesn't feel as good as you thought it would feel. Yeah. I mean, do you still dream like that, though? Do you find yourself fantasizing about what you're going to be like further down the road? Oh, yeah. I mean, I fa I, first of all, I fantasize that I'll lose the 12 pounds I've put on during COVID. <laughs> Fucking fat, lazy bum. Uh, I fantasize that I will, yeah, be doing a lot of things better than I'm doing them. Sure. I, I always do. Um, and the detriment is you don't enjoy where you are when you're like that. Like, it's hard to, like, feel good in the moment. But the good part is it keeps you moving. Right. And you're never lazy. And I'm never going to be content and go, I'm, I'm successful or I've made it. I never feel like I'm where I should be. That's 
the the idea of being present, I call it an idea because I don't believe it's something everyone right. can attain. It's not the simplest state to reach. But would you say that that goes hand in hand with success in comedy? You know, it makes you a better... I think you're a better comedian if you're present because you're talking about what's going on. And that's kind of what people like about stand-up, but you're acknowledging something in the moment. Like, that's why people like live stand-up because it could fail. So the, the fact that you're in the present and you're, like, I acknowledge when I'm bombing and people love that. Like, I've always done that. I can't hide it. Like, a lot of comedians will try to laugh their way through it. Hey, what's going good? It's going good. And I'm like, oh, God, this is fucking horrendous. And people like that you're acknowledging it. So you are being very present when you acknowledge what's negative. Yeah. But yeah, I've always found that being present in stand-up or in, in my in comedy is very helpful. Yeah, no shit. And in life, which is yeah. something we all apply and learn to do better at. Uh, I got to ask, what was the last job that you worked before you could sustain your life uh, in the business? Yeah, I, had a, um, I worked for Coast Lamps. It's like an Italian lamp company. <laughs> and I was um, like just working, I did warehouse work, like for Christoph Silver, I did warehouse work for them. I used to write jokes on packing slips. <sighs> I'd be doing like, I was packing up boxes and writing jokes. And then Leia Coast, I was such a shit employee. Like I would go to Maryland on a Wednesday for 25 <laughs> bucks from Jersey. And I would work and get home at two in the morning and I'd miss work the next day. Or I'd do that thing where you hang out the window and call in like, I'm not feeling well. And uh, I got fired. Um, and then I collected unemployment. Huh. So collecting unemployment, you back then in 19, I guess, 93, whatever it was, you had to fill out applications and then you had to fill out where you had applied. So I was filling out applications um, in a way that I knew I would never get a job. Like this way I could say that I had filled them out. So if they checked up, like reason for leaving last position, uh, you know, my boss was fucked up. You know, I would write things like that, like where I knew the job would never hire me. But if unemployment checked, I had filled out the application. So sure. yeah, Leia Coast Lamps, I think, was my last actual real job. It reminds me of that um, Seinfeld episode where George is, uh, I think, trying to maintain his unemployment status or whatever to keep collecting. So he, you know, goes through a series of these, I don't know, he has this interesting relationship with someone that keeps writing that off for him. Oh, it's funny. Every, everything in life, and Seinfeld was like, I, I've probably seen two complete episodes of Seinfeld oh, in my really? life. Never watched it, but it's, it's weird how that show, and I've watched Curb Your Enthusiasm and Larry David, it's so creative how they've touched on every aspect of shitty human behavior that That's you right. pretty much, like uh, there was something I did and I did it in real life and I was talking to somebody about it where I, I like to make sure somebody's looking before I leave a tip in the tip jar. And like, <laughs> oh yeah, they did it on Seinfeld. Did. And I'm like, that, that, that's why that show is so good because <laughs> I would never have thought to write a brilliant show about that. But you know, Larry David, I- You wouldn't think those things are anything worth putting on a screen or putting in a storyline. There's such yeah. moments of a day, but I guess that's the charm. Yeah, yeah, but I really did do that for unemployment and I collected for two years, I think. And I was finally able to, I mean, I didn't make any type of good money for the first 10 years. Like, you know, I was probably 30 before I made any type of real money doing standup. It was terrible money. For a long, long time. What keeps you doing it at that point then? <laughs> like, I would just call it quit. Most of the people in, like, my generation, they wouldn't have the patience to sit with something that isn't immediately gratifying. You know, I guess it was the only thing I ever wanted to do. I'm like, I'm either going to do this. 
I left myself no safety net because I dropped out of high school. So I was like, I, I don't have any, uh, I mean, I got a GED like three years. I got sober and got a GED. But I, I said, there's going to be this or it's going to be nothing. Like you can't leave a safety net because if I leave a safety net, that gives me something else to go to. I'm like, I'm just going to fucking, I'm going to do this. Or, you know, when you're young, you're dramatic. Like it's this or death. But, you know, I just, I, I kind of realized I had nothing to fall back on. So it forced me to move forward. Are you saying you've worked all those dramatics out for yourself? You don't have any of that in your identity anymore? No, I mean, I, I'm, in too, I'm too quick to call myself on it. So it's embarrassing. Like, it's just too fucking embarrassing if I, if I do something dramatic. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm glad I can laugh. Don't let me forget that I've cried. And I'm like, oh, you do shut up. Like, I can't do stuff that is too serious or I call myself on it. True. So- with the way the world is right now, I, I can't believe I didn't even open with how the hell is your mental health? You know, it's, um, it's okay. Up and down like everybody else. Um, again, the fact that everybody is kind of in the tank makes it easier. It makes it more tolerable because I can't really feel sorry for myself. Like I try to, but then I'm like, Shit, you fucking, I got a radio job. Like I'm lucky to be working. So I think I feel more grateful than anything. Like as much as this is depressing and it's sad, I am working for the UFC. I have a job for Sirius. I do my dumb character podcast. Like I'm, I consider myself lucky. Right. So it's hard for me to be really depressed because I'm able to work during this. Right. So how much of your life has changed because of this other than say live shows? Well, going, you know, I've got, again, you become lethargic. You become stagnant because I'm not going to, you know, I just started taking kickboxing and I was going to work every day and then going to UFC three days a week and the gym four days a week and all this stuff. And I was extremely active. And now you're just, you're on your pond scum. You're just fucking floating, doing what you do. So creatively, I feel okay because my mind is working, but physically um, it sucks. I, I miss walking around in New York. I miss just going to, uh, you know, to, to tape my UFC podcast. I miss going to the radio station. And in a city like New York, especially, I mean, so much of your day and your happiness and your life is really about interacting with it. So that's a tough one. No. Yeah, it's really tough. I mean, uh, you know, you, and you don't get used to that. I can't believe like I, it's going, the time is going fast though. It's not like it's creeping. Like I can't believe it's fucking August already. But then you remember shit you did at the beginning of the pandemic. You're like, oh my God, that feels like it was six months ago. I, I can't believe that was, uh, well, actually it was six months ago. Yeah, but it feels like six months. It feels like it was uh, a, a lot longer than that. I'm just, I'm so curious how the interactions are going to be post pandemic. And I know that now we're not even saying post pandemic. It's just like life with pandemic. I, I don't yeah. know. But the human interactions that we have, like one of my favorite things to do, no joke, is to go out and kiss strangers, you know, like in bars and in the nightlife in a big city. Like, I love that. I love to take a big bite out of whatever event I'm a part of. And sometimes kissing a stranger is one of those things. Is that gone? Are we done with that? You know, there's no, because let's be honest, men are going to be less likely to push you away and in, in the, in, in the, they're more willing to catch COVID. Uh, that, you know, That's you'll be sad. kissing people before I'm shaking their hands. That's probably how it'll be like, they'll be less likely to push you off than for me, but me, I'll get the fist bump and you, they'll be like, fuck it. It's worth catching. So no, that will come back. It's going to be a different uh, uh, game, a different physical game out on the, uh, the streets, so to say. I think a lot more digital relationships and pursuing, you know, 
digital business more is going to be the way that we're going, which kind of breaks my heart a little bit. Yeah. Well, companies, why pay for, um, why pay for studio space when yeah. you can do it at home? Like the radio show we're doing is, I mean, it's not the same as being in studio. It's not as good as being a studio, but we're doing interviews and we're doing a show and we're succeeding on a show. So the company's going to be like, why should we pay for midtown Manhattan fucking real estate when you guys can do it at home? I wonder what they'll do with all the buildings. I hope something fabulous, you know, whorehouses all around. Yeah. 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 70 story whorehouses. That'd be nice. Totally. Totally. So Jim, I've always wanted to ask you this since the culture has just gone in such an extreme sensitivity these days, I have to address the C word being cancel culture. Obviously. Sure. Um, we know the benefits, we know the drawbacks, but in this strange way, I feel like, you know, with the kind of material that you do and the way that you present it and just your legacy, are you cancel proof in any way? No, I don't think anybody is, uh, you know, I don't think anybody is immune to it because like I've been consistent. I'm not worried about anything I've said. I've been a fucking dirty comic for 30 years. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a real easy Google search, um, but nobody is immune to it because what's behind it is not what you said what's behind cancel culture is punishment hmm. so if people focus on you and decide hey we want to punish you then they're going to try to find reasons to do that with cancel culture people keep giving legitimacy to their thing like well he did say this or he did say that yeah, yeah, yeah. but the underlying motive of what they're doing is not what you said that's the trojan horse to get them in the building what they want to do is punish somebody they want to hit somebody with a hammer and they're not honest enough to say, we want to bludgeon somebody and fucking break their head open. So they hide behind the shield of a good cause. So it's all, the whole thing is a lie. It's based in a lie. Um, you know, so again, that's why I say nobody's immune to it because no matter how you phrase things, if people want to punish you, um, your phrasing is going to be wrong. You know, the new terms that's problematic or oh, gee, the optics on that are not good. Or is that the hill you want to die on? You know, all these fucking annoying things they say, but uh, they're repulsive. Cancer culture. It's repulsive because of the lie. Does any of that weigh in on your mind as you're creating, as you're actually doing live performances? Like, does it weigh on you to any degree? Nah, I mean, no, because I, I've been screaming about free speech long before it became, I, I love the fact now that so many people are crying about it. It's like, really, where the fuck were you when I just got fired in 2007? Where the fuck were you when Donald Sterling got in trouble or where Phil Robertson got in trouble uh, or Mel Gibson was penalized for saying shitty things, which were shitty. Like now all of a sudden you care about speech. I mean, I'm a dirty act, so I've been I've been yelling about this stuff since I did my HBO special in in, in 2007. So, no, uh, I'm I don't I'm not concerned with it at all. When I create, you know, I'm 52, so I say things differently than I would have at 25. Yeah. But that's just a part of being 52. That's not because like oh the culture, um, because of the way I feel about speech and being able to say what you want. I'm not as crazy about it as I used to be because I'm not going to say it well enough to fix it. Like Obama said something really smart. He was talking about uh, purity and how people are searching for purity and you're never going to find purity. People are impure. Dave Chappelle said it beautifully. And you know what? Neither of these guys put a dent in the problem. It no. means nothing because it's not about what cancel culture people are saying it's about it's about punishment so no matter how beautifully somebody phrases the solution it doesn't matter 
do you, do you think that audiences of comedians especially like do you think that too many of the audiences are just I don't know if I want to call it brainwashed. They're looking for a political viewpoint, looking for a political message in work in, in people's stand up, perhaps. Some are, or they see it where it doesn't exist. Right. Like if you make fun of Trump or if you make fun of Biden, they take it like it's this declarative statement where sometimes it's just like, well, no, they're two old guys and you're making fun of them. Like they're politicians, they're make fun of all. They sign up for that when they become, when they rule the free world. Um, Everything now that a comedian says for some reason is this fucking thing where you're standing, you're standing at a balcony making a proclamation of fact. You know, it's insanity. Around, just out there to the people, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no more jokes. Everybody takes it. You know what I mean? It's, it's like we've just become such a literal. Mm. And what, what, what's so repulsive about it and how you know it's not truthful where they're coming from? Zero forgiveness. There's zero forgiveness. There's zero room for context and it's arbitrary. So it's, it's just, there's no way to figure it out. But on forgiveness, where do you, where do you stand with say apology tours like Kevin Hart? Depends on why someone is apologizing. Like Kevin, I mean, I, I know Kevin for a long time. So I, I, he's a, he's a guy with integrity. Like he said he was sorry. Like, you know, where Tracy did, I think Tracy did some gay jokes and like, hey, these guys are high profile and saying, hey, I wouldn't want my son to be gay and gay people mm. like, hey, what the fuck? So when, they, when Kevin says, hey, I'm sorry, you know, I did those jokes and that was a long time ago. Yeah, he probably means it. Like, you know what? I wasn't trying to fuck with you. I was just saying it. But then after a while, they come back on him and this is how you know Kevin is genuine mm. because he goes, look, I addressed this already. Yeah. I'm not addressing it again. I said I was sorry. Fuck the Oscars. Yeah. Um, which is kind of why I like Ellen, even though she's catching all this shit, but she's stuck up for Kevin um, and she's gay and she defended him. Um, so apologies are fine if you say you're sorry and you mean it. Yeah. Um, you know, certain people like Louis said he was sorry and people still wanted him burned alive, which is crazy. Yeah. So um, if you mean an apology, hey, make the apology. We all say things that we're sorry for in life. As a comic, I don't want to be so dug in that I can never say I'm sorry if I feel like I've done something wrong. No, that's gross. That's not hot. Yeah. That is not hot. Right. Uh, Twitter, social media. Do you think Twitter in particular has had an effect negatively or positively on comedy? I mean, it's, it's, it's had, Twitter has had the same effect on comedy that AIDS had on sex. I mean, it's really <laughs> terrible. Uh, but it's not Twitter's fault. Like Twitter is just what it is. Um, the negative part is that people take it to heart so much. Like mm -hmm. I haven't posted on Twitter um, in, in a couple of months other than just retweeting this dumb chip character. Um, and I don't check at mentions because I keep the, it made me feel too needy. Like it was, I, I said this a lot in the last couple of years, I've been talking about this. Like it's not even the negative shit, the negative stuff, like you can mute people. Sure. Even the positive stuff. Talk me, whatever. Yeah. How much fucking accolades do I need? Did like, like, you know, I started to feel gross and needy. Um, you know, when you're doing a show, you get laughs. Great. I need the attention. But do I have to constantly check comments and likes but and did numbers? Does it ever feel good? If you do a joke, and people like the joke, or you do a video and people have pot, sure, it feels nice. But beyond feeling nice, it becomes a drug. It's like a drip, it's like a drip, it's like a drip, and you check and you check and you check. And how many, how many, how many? 
and it becomes obsessive. And I started to hate myself because I was doing it. And again, it wasn't even the negative or the positive because most of it is positive. There's assholes, but the majority of it is positive. And even that was still, I was annoying myself. So I said, fuck it. I'm not going to check it. And I miss news stories all the time. Like, the, hey, did you hear about so-and-so? No. Oh, what happened? Tell me. And then I'll just go and read about it. But I, I've missed a lot of stuff that I don't care that I've missed. Well, because um, people are checking in on those platforms for all of their news updates, yeah. you know, uh, info from around the world. That's where everyone goes first thing usually in the morning is to check their platforms. What do you do first thing in the morning? Drudge Report. Uh, or I'll go to Drudge Report and CNN Wow. And check these news stories just because, again, the radio show, you, you and, I, and I do, I have an advantage where I get an email every day with 12 news stories. Two different people send me those emails and I get a third email with videos. So I kind of get caught up, at, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, I'm getting whatever, okay, this is what's going to happen today. This is what's the news because we have to talk about it. 90% of the time we don't get to most of the stories, but I, I read every one. So you kind of get an idea of what's going on just by that. So my producers are sending me stuff. So I'm always it's looking. It's really that easy. I wish this is obviously not going to make the final cut here, but how nice would it be if my entire anchor cast at Naked News just did that in the morning? You know what I mean? Yeah. I have people reading teleprompters uh, in the studio daily with me. And sometimes it's, it's they have never even heard the name. They've never heard the place on earth where this is happening. They've never, it's just, you know, it's a pet peeve of mine that the first thing we do is check to see how many likes we have. Yeah, it, it, and it's, it's, it's literally, I have not checked at mentions on Twitter in probably three months. It might be the entire pandemic. Um, and again, because I do a character podcast, which is ridiculous. That I've been checking more because that was just silly. Um, it's, it's meaningless. Uh, so that I was doing because I was doing something for TBS and it was funny to me, some of the comments. But I just, I don't feel like I'm missing it at all. Like, I don't, I'm not like holding out for a little while. And I'll tweet again when I have jokes to do, but sure, I just haven't. Sure, but you're lucky because it's, it's a real addiction and yeah. like, like smoking and I'm now living on Nicorette, you know, is there a gateway in between uh, avoidance of social media completely and finding happiness away from it? I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I would love a step program. And that is definitely in the future of this culture. Well, are you, are you quitting uh, smoking? I am. Yeah. I was doing the vape for a little bit, which is unbelievably embarrassing. Unbelievably. I see it now and I cannot, I can't understand. It's the most, it's this repulsive, ridiculous, yeah. you know, little flute thing. And I, I mean, they do it through their masks here in Toronto. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's hardcore. People want it, right? That's hardcore shit. So, uh, Jim, you're obviously close with the porn community. Uh, they yep. know you, they love you. Have you ever been approached or given the opportunity to be in an adult production? No, I always figured if I, if I wanted to, I probably could have done something like just for the goof factor. Somebody would have filmed it. Um, but no, I mean, um, I have a weird, like, I love porn people. I love them. Like, I, I respect them. I think what they do is really fucking hard. Um, I, I hate this shit attitude people have about porn. It's this condescension. And it's like, first of all, motherfucker, they've made more than almost any other film industry. Oh, shit. And I've been on shoots. Like, I've been, when I, I've hosted AVN twice. Yes. And the first time was January of 04. So it was the 2003 AVN. 
and it was Jenna Jameson was my co-host. And so I went on um, a couple of low budget shoots, like a low budget shoot, mm. a medium budget shoot. And then one of Jen, Jenna did a girl, oh, girl scene. Fucking blowout, right? Just a it's huge. A, there's craft services. There's <laughs> costuming. It's like anything else you shoot. It's and a then the big industry. It's, it really is. It's, it's a huge film. But then yeah. you go on the low budget and it's the same guy holding the camera in a light. And watching them perform under these unsexy conditions, which yeah. is a lighting crew. Come on, let's go. All right, uh, turn around, turn around. And watching these guys' dick stay hard and watching the women stay focused. I'm like, this is a fucking job. And the fact that they can do this is amazing and nobody winning oscars can do this absolutely not absolutely not the physicality as a a beginning here i i know that for me 10 seconds even trying to imitate one of these things you would see in porn and i'm sore for the next week because i don't work those parts of me like that and these are people they're very much athletes yeah that's what i heard them described as sexual athletes and it's like if you're kneeling in a gravel driveway and fucking in 58 degree weather and you make it look right, it, it, there's really, um, I, I'm really impressed with them. And, and I've always, I've always kind of looked at them the way I look at other film actors. Like, I mean, uh, I just like, fuck, I'm blown away by their ability to do it. Mm. So I think that they picked up on that. Like, you know, and again, it's been many years I've been around people and I think they kind of get the sense that I feel that way. So they've always been very cool with me and, responded well to me what would be the porn scene that you would do say you you know were forced to you know it's hard to say because i'm i'm so lack my i I lack in confidence and in in front of a camera so i can't say it's it's where would i embarrass myself the most i'm not in shape enough to do it i don't fuck well enough to do it like where would i do it amateur cock pov what's that just be like a pov stunt cock for somebody you know, it would have to be amateur, cuckold maybe. I like, I like the hidden camera stuff, I, which is probably not hidden camera because everybody signs a release, but I, I like the, the amateur stuff. I like the sexual feeling of amateur stuff. Um, or here's how you know cuck stuff is real because not too much of it is high budget where you'll see some like established black porn actor fucking like a white porn actor and you're like, yeah. that's not. <laughs> but I like seeing it where you can see two regular people fucking and then you see the husband in the bedroom mirror wearing socks and you're like that's amateur you know what i mean mean, that's the best that's how they get it done though yeah and that's stuff that's soaring right now i mean independent content creation for porn especially yeah it's right now it's never been this bountiful it's coming out constantly people are becoming pornographers left right and center that's what yeah. I'm excited about during all this pandemic. I hope that it shifts the opinion of sex work a little bit. Yeah, but it, it won't, unfortunately, because, I mean, people are camming more because, again, yeah. the opinion of sex work is based in this, this fake morality that people have. And, and it's really funny, like, ultra-liberal women agree with Christian conservatives. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, this culture is like, oh, it's demeaning and prostitution should be illegal. And it's like... It's crazy to watch the arch conservatives and the arch liberals meet in this place where they think, you know, keep your laws off my body, but just not when it comes to prostitution. That should be outlawed. I mean, it's, it's really like it's, it's a gradient scale in between, and there's all these, you know, different architects that fit within it, and that's one of them for sure. 
Yeah. Um, and, and transport, I like a lot too. Um, I just wouldn't be confident enough to do it. So to answer your question, that, that's one I watch a lot, but I wouldn't be, you know, I, I would never be comfortable performing it because I just wouldn't do well. I'm in love with Natalie Mars and Aubrey Kate. Yeah, they're both really hot. Yeah. So yeah, cool. very beautiful. Great stuff. Shout out to both of them. Yeah. Uh, falls in love easier, porn stars or comedians? I, I don't know because we're both probably super needy. I, I think porn stars are very needy emotionally and so are comedians. I mean, we're all doing things uh, for attention. We're all doing things for love. We all, you know, a lot of, but again, a lot of people associate sex and love and a lot of people associate attention with love. I think comedians and porn stars are probably similar in that. Like we do things that are very difficult to people who don't do them. Um, but we just want somebody to love us. Like, uh, you know, it, people are like, I could never do that for a living. And so, yeah, if you were desperate enough for people to like you, you could. And that's kind of yeah. how it is for porn stars and comedians. So I, I think that porn stars and comics probably understand each other in a weird way. So in a way, would they go together well? Do you think that would make a good pairing? I do. It would depend on on the the jealousy of each one. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, would the comedian... I, I, I dated one girl in porn many years ago we saw each other for a little while and it was kind of nice um but would i be too jealous i don't know if she was active because i don't do it like when two porn stars date they they understand each other hey i'm going to do a shoot all right i'll see you later yeah. um but like as me as a comic i i dated someone who was a dominatrix at one point and i got like a little jealous like because I wasn't fucking anybody, but she would like put on her thigh highs and go out and she was only doing corporal punishment at that point. She wasn't doing sensual sessions, but I would get a little jealous. I was like, fuck, like, because the guy's jerking off laying on the floor, even though she's not touching his dick. I was like that energy. I started to get selfish because I liked her and I loved her and I wanted that energy for myself. Like it was more the energy that she was sharing with someone um, that I wanted for myself. So I might get too possessive. I don't know. Wow, Jim, is there love in your life right now? <laughs> I date, yeah. um, you know, but again, I, I'm, a, I'm a bad boyfriend because like, you know, I, I'm a very ADD and I'm always uh, indecisive and looking around and I'm, I'm happy with where I'm at in my career. Like, you know, there's all this other nonsense, but I do date, yeah. um, but I'm, 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 I'm a weird boyfriend. I can be really good and really loyal and I'm at this age now where I probably should settle down because I'm 52. And let's be honest, I didn't look great at 30. And I certainly don't look great at 52. And 60 is not going to be a fucking Plus banner moment. pounds of COVID. <laughs> What's that? Plus the 12 COVID pounds. <laughs> the 12 COVID pounds. Believe me, anyone who notices it, I notice it first thing. It's the first thing I think of when I wake up. Another day, you fat fuck. <laughs> it's all I think of. Like, But I know I'll lose it. Like, I'm not... I don't care that much about it. Like, I'm not like, because I know it'll come off. I know what it is. Most people I know have gotten a little bit more. I mean, I do a podcast with Matt Sarah. And That's he's, an attainable amount. 12 pounds yeah. is achievable and you can do it. Sure. We believe in you, Jim. You'll be fine. Uh, please fill in this sentence for me. It turns me on when someone calls me blank in the bedroom. Bitch. Mm. Bitch. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, because it's most, yeah, I guess bitch would be great. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, toilet doesn't suck, but I would say bitch is the best. Um, 
and I'm kidding, but bitch is, bitch is a good one because most women are comfortable saying that even if they're not as hard, like some women are very hardcore and comfortable, but bitch is something that most people can kind of go to. Like, you know what I mean? That's a, a type of humiliation that somebody can, uh, can go to that's pull off. okay. You know, With that they'll pull it off. They'll be okay. They'll pull it off and they'll be okay. Yeah. I mean, but it, I, I prefer it to be organic for somebody. Um, you know, I want someone to be comfortable saying that. Like, I don't like to set it up. Like call me that. Like I like to talk right. about it and I like if someone's comfortable doing it cause I don't want them doing it if they're not comfortable, you know? Beautifully said. Excellent. Jim, do you have anything to plug? Isn't that what they do on these shows? I guess, but no, just the radio show I do, Jim Norton and Sam Roberts. I was just happy that you and I could finally do this. We've talked about it for a while, so I was glad that we could finally make it, uh, make it happen. Compliment and, uh, me, for God's sakes. What's that? Compliment me. Come on. Isn't she stunning? You are. You're beautiful, and it's a fun show to do. You're a good interviewer. <laughs> um, you know, a lot of people, you do these, and after a minute, you're like, ugh. But uh, we'd love to, I'm sure we'll have you on, uh, on, on our radio show if you'd like to come on too. We can make that happen. would love to. Absolutely love to. Well, Jim, where can the people uh, find you online right now? You know, I guess Jim Norton on Twitter, even though I have not been posting, and just, you know, Netflix, I did uh, a special last year and in 2017. I have two things on Netflix. So go to Netflix if you want to watch my stand-up, and hopefully I'll have something coming out next year. Um, I was supposed to tape an album but the gig got canceled because the, everything was shutting down. So right. I don't have anything new, unfortunately. Well, soon enough, we'll all be yeah. ready for it. So thank you so, so much, Jim. Wishing you sure. a happy rest of the uh, pandemic and we'll be in touch. We'll talk soon. Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. I'm glad to talk to you. See ya. <laughs>